This is SciByte, episode 119, for February 11th, 2014. everyone and welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, live on a Tuesday and fresh on a Wednesday over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris and joining us every single week is our excellent host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy science. So what are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to take a look at treating a gunshot wound in 15 seconds, fatigue and light, a new Martian crater, the Olympic torch, curiosity news, and as always, take a peek back in history, and up in the sky this week. That is a broad range of topics, if I don't say so myself, and I'm pretty curious to see where we start, so let's do the news. All right, Heather, what is our first story? So, when a soldier is shot on the battlefield or something else, and a medic you know, has to pack gauze directly under the wound cavity, there's not a lot of medical tech right there. And a new startup has actually as you know, veterans, scientists, engineers, and they're working on a better way to stop the bleeding right away. So what this, they have done is they've kind of had this modified syringe, which is more like a giant tube syringe, not like something that you're going to shoot, like take blood tests out of your arm. But it injects these specially coated sponges into a wound that's much faster and more efficient than gauze. And it's funny, the... They were saying that they originally kind of were inspired by fix-a-flat foam, you know, for your mm. repairing tires. So they actually had uh, some early prototypes after the the army actually gave them five million for a, to get a startup going and get the a finished product. And so it, it's kind of this thing where you have to have something sterile, biocompatible, fast expanding, and they put these sponges. Uh, they're made of wood pulp and coated with blood clotting and wow. antimicrobial substance, substances. Wood pulp, huh? and, Yep. And so they put it in there and they hold it and it expands really fast. And in 15 seconds, it you know can fill a wound, create enough pressure to actually stop bleeding. And so they can actually, what they did is they had this like compact syringe thing in order to kind of inject it into the inner injury. And then this is uh, what kind of strikes me as interesting about this is uh, I had a family member who was a veterinarian and they use kind of a glue process mm-hmm. uh, for some animal wounds. And it kind yeah, of sounds they, a little bit similar like this. I didn't do this. This expanding aspect, though, is, is yeah, I think really they something. actually did some. I think they actually said that they had a little animal testing or you know, essentially when something came up and they were able to use it on some dogs or something mm-hmm. just in a not purposefully hurting them. but. You know, so they have this and it goes in there and it expands and it helps, you know, create pressure against, you know, blood vessels so they can actually stop the bleeding. And then they sort of, they added uh, little X-shaped markers so they're visible in x-rays. So then you can take an x-ray and make sure that you haven't left any behind. Mm-hmm. And so they have these applicators that they're able to use and you can kind of have, they're single use. So you have... Three of these and, you know, replace like 
five gauzes of rolls in a med kit, you know, on the on the field. Oh, sure. So now they're designing actually smaller versions as well that could be for more narrow injuries. Now, right now, each one costs about a hundred bucks. But as you get more manufacturing and things get larger, you know, you get more manufacturing, larger numbers, then prices come down. But well, and two, I wonder if um, there's the other the other cost to consider is if putting this in a wound results in like say some dramatic percentage increase in the recovery or yeah. reduction in infection or reduction in 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 um, um, rehabil- rehabilitation time. It oh, seems yeah. like that's a whole I mean, other cost that they could factor yeah. for that would be an improvement. Oh yes, I mean, like I was reading about you know how they sort of on the field do it now. And I decided, nope, not going to talk about that. Too. <laughs> it's not entirely pleasant. Yeah. Right. Just so you know. Right. I can imagine. But this is much, much cleaner, much easier, seems actually better than pretty much everything they have now. Hmm. So, I mean, they're hoping that eventually um, they can actually get some biodegradable ones that you don't have to pull out of the body. You oh, can just right, yeah. leave it. And so they're actually going through and trying to get FDA approval. And the U.S. Army is already like has a cover letter going, Dear FDA, please expedite this approval. Right. That might be why you've seen some stories about it to kind of get get the word out about what kind of a cool thing it is. All right. Are there any other thoughts on that one? No, I'll just look open that this will uh, go forward and possibly uh, help save lives. No kidding. All right. Let's take a quick break right here. I want to just take a moment to uh, set everyone uh, 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 set their weekend up for them. You know, not that I not that I would ever presume to dictate your schedule, uh, dear listener. But if you did have a little bit of time on a Sunday, you could visit jblive.tv and enjoy episode three hundred of the Linux Action Show. We'll be celebrating, which is kind of crazy, and probably the best way to find out when that is: go to jupiterbroadcasting.com/calendar. Hopefully. Hopefully my cold will be gone and I won't be losing my voice by then like I am now. But uh, I think we're going to have a pretty fun event. We're going to have a couple of announcements to make. And uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be a great live show because sometimes, you know, we have, uh, we, have a lot of, we have a lot of fun during the live stream that uh, people don't get to see when they watch the recorded version. So this would be a good opportunity to just kind of come see what the live event is like too. I mean, why not? Why not celebrate 300 with us in person and join us in the chat room. If you go to jblive.tv, we have the live stream there and in the embedded IRC. But you can also go to irc.geekshed.net in your favorite IRC client and go into Pound Jupiter Broadcasting. But it'll be on Sunday, 10 a.m. Pacific, episode 300 of the Linux Action Show. And it's entering, it's not yet, but it is It is. It's seven and a half years old, I believe, as we hit episode 300. I might have my dates wrong a little bit, but that's a pretty remarkable number right there. There's a lot of TV shows that don't make it that long, like Star Trek. <laughs> oh. I know, it hurts, Heather, it hurts. So come, come celebrate with us. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get the time in your local time. But Heather, I'm all done with that. So why don't we do a little, oh, I don't know, news bite. Okay, Heather, what are we going to talk about in the news bite? Alrighty. Last week we were talking about, you know, the lights on your little palm, your little phones keeping you up at night. You know, avoid that at night. Now they're actually saying... Hey, if we actually use that, maybe we can make you more alert. Hmm. So they're showing that research has shown that exposure to short wavelength, which is blue light, during the day can actually improve alertness and overall performance. 
Now, they've previously shown that you can improve those things at night. But now they're kind of looking at it that you can also do it during the day. So this is a flip on the conversation we had where the blue light from the smart screens can keep you awake, uh, stimulate the brain in a sense, and how uh, uh, how I mentioned I use that uh, F-Lux program to adjust the color mm-hmm. temperature of my monitors. This is sort of taking that and putting it on its head almost and saying yeah. you could do the opposite at the other end of the day and have a, a different set of results. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole point was it's making you more awake when you don't want to be awake. Guess what? If it makes you more awake when you do want to be awake or more alert. So they're looking at it. It's like, hey, these people, you know, participants were showing that they had when they were on blue light, they were less sleepy. They were quicker reaction times, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. fewer attention relapses. Um, So it's. That all jives with my experience. You know, uh, after that episode, I did. I did my I've done. I've been doing my own little science, uh, Heather. Mm -hmm. I uh, every morning when I get in. Uh, even if it's not light out yet, I make sure that I open my blinds so that way it helps wake me up, I feel like. I feel mm-hmm. like when the sun comes up and I get a little bit of that blue light, I feel like it's it's like a compliment to my coffee. It doesn't do it on its own, but it helps sort of get me going in the beginning of the day by having that light come in here. And I and and I, a couple of days I've forgotten to pull the blinds up and I've been like, ah, I was just sluggish this morning. Oh, I haven't opened my blinds yet. And I open them up and about five, ten minutes later, I'm feeling a little bit better. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're. I mean, they're looking as like, hey, well, we could use use this for, you know, how can we use it to make lighting in places like schools or homes or workplaces where you can do that and you oh. can be more productive and alert atmospheres. Yeah, that's interesting, and I would I would also argue, you know, towards the end of my contracting career, I think one of the reasons I wanted to start working from home a lot more was because I felt like I had better control over the lighting. And I, yeah. this is a really interesting idea about bringing this to the workplace or schools. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my office, there's a number of windows and there's quite a few of us were like, bye bye, uh, fluorescent lights, like mm. open up all the windows we can. We're like, yay, have as much of the natural light coming in as we can. And yeah. it's, it definitely has a different feel. Uh, all right. Well, any other thoughts on that? No, just kind of uh, using this to uh, stay awake. Yeah, and maybe uh, people can incorporate into their daily routines routines and see if it helps them a little bit. Open up a window every now and then. All right, Heather, I'm going to bring in the band because it's time for the two light notes. All right, Heather, what are we talking about in the two bite news? All righty. Mars has a new crater. Like, new. Oh, how did this happen? Is the uh, Mars reconnaissance us, right? <laughs> the Mars reconnaissance orbiter has been you know orbiting Mars, taking pictures, and it has a you know back catalog and a computer going through it and saying, "Hey, if something looks different, kick it to the people. You know, let people look at it." Data. So they're able to go and see these before and after images. It's from 2010, but. It's just now where we're able to kind mm-hmm. of see those images pop up. Mm-hmm. There's, they saw like, hey, something is different in this time period. So then recently they're able to go back and take some good images of it. And it shows a crater you know, almost 13 feet, almost four meters in diameter. Wow. So they have ideas about, I mean, they have, it's not like the first crater that they've seen new. This is just a large one. They kind of exe- kind of guess that, they're about 200 hits a year. 
They kind of see that from all these orbiting. Well, they in that in that size range. This one, oh yes, this one was actually uh, thirty meters or ten feet wide. Yeah. Wow. So it was really quite large, and it actually flung debris fifteen kilometers, a little over nine miles away. <laughs> and so from that, they're able to kind of reverse engineer and say, "All right, well, we see all this this debris. We see what kind of debris it is. Then we're actually disabled to say." hey, we can actually estimate by the size and by how far the, uh, the debris was flown, how much power, how fast it came in, possibly what it was made of. This might be a dumb question, and uh, I, mean, I should probably know better, but does Mars's um, thinner atmosphere than, say, relative to Earth's, does it make that planet more um, at risk of not burning objects up before they impact? Is that like a thing? By at risk in the general sense that things are flying by it. No, well, no, but like in the sense not of necessarily, like, but yeah, they don't I mean, burn you have, up. I mean, we see a lot of different little things burning up in the atmosphere. You go out, you see a shooting star. That's something in space that the atmosphere has burned up into a different little puff of nothing. Yeah. Mars, like you said, it has a very thin atmosphere. It's not able to do that so much. So, yeah, yeah. there are more more things hitting and larger things hitting mm-hmm the Martian uh, surface because of that. That is a really crazy look at impact. If uh, you guys are listening, not watching, go check out the show notes. Uh, actually, the picture is even embedded in the show notes. Any other thoughts on that one? No, I'm just kind of very excited. Yeah. All right, Heather, we got a little update to do. We do. So the Olympics, Winter Olympics started this last week. Mm-hmm. And if you remember back, way back last November, Cybite 109, we actually talking about how the Olympic torch was yes. passed from one astronaut to the other outside the International Space Station. Right. First time we went out on a spacewalk. It's been in space before um, for other ceremonies. But this specific one was actually the first one to go on a spacewalk. Of course, it was not on fire because well, there's no fire in yeah. space. And you don't particularly want fire on the space station. But it was sort of symbolic passing on and it came back down and that torch was actually the one used to light the olympic cauldron oh really that's really yeah, cool there's, i mean there's different ones as they pass them on but uh yeah during the actual uh, opening ceremony during the actual opening ceremony where the person wow. came up they brought that <clears throat> you torch know, back and had that one i guess the I, official lighting. i guess also they had uh, cosmonauts uh involved in the opening ceremony too like quite a bit it seems like they are they're Pretty proud of their uh, space program and the tradition yeah. they have there. That's that. You know what, Heather? I watched that opening ceremony, and I specifically remember talking about that story. It didn't even cross my mind if that was the one that went to space. So, it hadn't crossed my mind either. I didn't realize it until after. I was like, "Oh, why did I miss it?" Yeah. Well, I'm glad you uh, mentioned that because it kind of uh, it adds a little extra bit of behind the scenes info. It's surprising they don't make a bigger deal about that on TV or something. Like the con- I was surprised as well. Matt Lauer was running his mouth. He could have at least mentioned that. All right, Heather. <laughs> well, uh, while we were just talking about uh, a little impact over at uh, Mars, so why don't we do a curiosity update? What do you think? Let's go. And lift off of the Atlas V with curiosity. All right, Heather, how's the little rover doing? Well, not so little. Yeah, not so little. But there is a lot going on that it's happening, going on. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking how Curiosity has been kind of eyeing this little sand dune 
to be able to decide, decide whether it's going to go over it. Right. And it's actually because of the wheels. And I have an image in the show notes. You have to check it out. When I say that the wheels are getting beat up, I did not realize how beat up they were. There are oh. like pot marks. Like it looks like um, really if you've ever up. had been in a hailstorm, it looks like the hail is just bashed it in. And there's actually a hole in one of the wheels where it's kind of ripped the hole just a little bit. Oh, man. So it's been quite beat up. So there's definitely reasons why they're trying to avoid as much rocks as they can. Now, isn't, that, isn't, that, the, isn't that interesting that, uh, wow, I mean, the other rovers haven't had this kind of a problem. Well, do you remember the other rovers were in lighter. much... Lighter yeah, too. much lighter, much less. Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it's not metal, is it? Because it'd be too heavy to be metal. Right? Aluminum. Ah, aluminum. Okay. So yeah, you want light, but quasi sturdy. But uh, so yeah, this is a this is a big guy, and they're actually going over much rockier uh, surface than actually I had expected. But so they kind of decided, you know, we're going to be changing how they drive and where they drive, and. Uh, so in order to get to a smoother place to get to the next dry, the drilling zone, they there was a sand dune in between them and that. And of course, sand dunes and rovers on Mars kind of scary because poor little uh, spirit was lost in a sand dune. Mm. Uh, Opportunity almost got eaten by a sand dune. Luckily, they were able to recover him. So... For curiosity, they were very kind of leery deciding how they were going to do this. They had their camera out. They looked on this side and that side. They'd actually driven up and kind of gone up <laughs> just a little bit and then backed off. So they kind of were able to look at the sand dune and how the wheel had kind of gone into it and out of it to kind of get an idea. And they actually did. They're able to cross the little sand dune completely safely and com- and happily. No, da- no difficulties going on for- through that. So now they're took their shortcut and they're on their way to a smoother ride. Well, that's good. So, <clears throat> wow, Heather, I'm really glad you grabbed that picture of the wheel. Uh, you guys got to go to the show notes and check that out. That yeah. really is a lot worse than I was picturing. Oh, me too. Like I saw it's in the, it's in one of the uh, stories and at the very bottom, I just happened to scroll down all the way and I'm like, oh, wow, definitely have to point that out to everyone because it really does look like a hailstorm has knocked this poor little wheel at to death. Yeah. And the little, the rip also was, I was very surprised about that. So, um, I, I've been seeing this picture, uh, float around the web this week of uh-huh. the earth and the moon. Was that taken by the curiosity rover? What's the story there? Yes, it was. We've had other earth images from other things on Mars. And even, uh, last year we had it from Saturn, but this is the first one. Little Curiosity has has made. And this one, it shows Earth shining. It's pretty much the brightest thing in the Martian sky in, you know, at that time. And the images were taken on January 31st of this year, about 80 minutes after Martian sunset. They used the high-resolution cameras on the mount, on the mast, to collect a series of these images. And so... 99 million miles, 160 million kilometers away. They took they took a a selfie of Earth. Yeah. Well, on that, we're just on that tiny little dot right there. Yep, and you could actually see the moon too. And I mean, if you were standing there next to the rover, you could have seen it. You would have seen Earth and the moon, two distinct different little stars 
So if you're standing there next to Curiosity, because I don't know, I think it'd be pretty cool to be standing there next to next to the little rover. But uh, it really puts it in context when you look at not the zoomed version, but the, the little dot in the sky. Yes. Oh, that's uh, whew, that's that's a whole lot of deep right there, Heather. That's a whole lot yep. of deep. All right. Any other thoughts on that? No, just uh, always love more and more about curiosity. Speaking of deep, why don't we jump in the time machine and head back? Whoa! Yep. Sorry about the rattle. That belly was in here playing earlier. It's literally a rattle. All right, Heather. Well, the time machine just brings us to a real quick destination. Yeah. If, if it wasn't for that rattle, there would have been no rattles at all. February 15th, 2013. A year ago, Heather. What happened this week in science? The Chelyabinsk meteor. Whoa. Over Russia. One year ago, Chelyabin- Chelyabinsk. Oh. That was the... The, uh, the dash cam meteor. meteor. <laughs> yeah, that was the dash cam meteor that soared through the sky. And... It was pretty big, and they actually were able to recover it last fall and able to see, you know, how big it was from the bottom of that ocean, uh, from the bottom of that, that lake. lake. Yeah, it was a lake. Yeah. Yes, wow, I remember this. Lake. This was this is a great callback. Can't believe it's been a year. I couldn't either. That's why I was like, it was only a year, but still, it feels like it feels like I can't believe it was just a year ago. And at the same time, it feels like wow, that was only a year ago. It's, I'm kind of I'm mixed yes. on it because it so much has happened in that year. Yeah, but Amazing. seeing that again, I was like, "Oh yes, it was a it was a very big deal at that time." Yeah, and I remember talking a lot about it and yeah. how, as all the data started trickling in about what happened. We never get a good show like that. I hope when something happens like that, somebody I, we'll have at least a few cameras. Of course, you know, here what happens is everybody's gonna have smartphones in Russia. I'm sure they have smartphones too, but everybody's got dash cams here. Everybody will, everybody will get shots with their uh, with their phones when it happens. Yep, I was watching some science fiction show and. Was it one of the protagonists is like, yep, the earth is going to come to an end and everyone's going to be showing their, pointing their <laughs> smartphone at it. Very true. Very true. All right, Heather, well, let me recalibrate the side by 2000 so that way we can look up into the sky this week. All righty. This week on Friday, February the 14th, Valentine's Day, you have the full moon exactly a little before 6 p.m. Eastern time. If you look to, to the left of the moon, you might be able to see the star Regulus and that if you're in the dark enough skies, you might be able to see a backwards question mark to the left of the moon. And that is actually part of the constellation Leo. And Regulus would be the, the brightest part of it, meaning uh, the period at the bottom. Hmm. In the whole, on the whole this week, we've got Venus, the morning star at dawn, looking to the southeast. Mars is rising about 10 to 11 p.m. You'll see Spica about five degrees to its left. They're about the highest point in the sky, about 3 or 4 a.m., and then Spica loose to the mo- lower right. Remember, 5 degrees is your three middle fingers held at arm's length. Mm. Those two are always nice because you got the orange, orangish red Mars and the very blue Spica. Jupiter this week is in the early evenings. It's rising in the eastern sky, crossing overhead about 9 p.m. and setting in the west just before dawn. Saturn is about rising about 1 a.m. in the east to southeast, moving to its highest point and the south at dawn. Wow. Is that it? Yep. Is that the whole sky? Yep. And so we got dawn over there in the southeast. You have Venus. Over in the west, you've got Jupiter. And kind of at the south, you've got Saturn. So a lot going on in the dawn this week. Yeah. And you got that romantic moon on Friday, uh, yep. Valentine's Day, which is perfect. It's like the moon new and it, it's helping everybody out a little bit. There you go. 
All right, Heather, anything else we want to cover this week? Not that I can think of. Well, then I'd just like to leave with this. We'd like to hear from you. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click that contact link. And then just choose Sidebite from the dropdown. Or even better, join us live over at jblive.tv on a Tuesday. Get the exact time over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Heather, thanks for the great show. Thank you. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode of Sidebite. We'd love to see you right back here for 120 next week. <laughs>